Rebecca Davis. It is Plan B. Rebecca, the Tembisa 10. It is absolutely <laughs> extraordinary the way IOL has doubled down to to continue escaping an acknowledgement of we stuffed up, we're sorry. John, it is gaslighting. It is gaslighting on a national scale. Because the point is that their failure, as you say, to simply, you know, just say, we didn't do, we didn't cover our bases on this one. We're sorry. Their failure to do so does lead one eventually to start thinking, well, for goodness sake, there must be something to this. Because what on earth is going on? This, this has to have a grain of truth. It doesn't, John. It absolutely doesn't. And what we're seeing here is verging on now on insanity. This spiraling narrative now about a massive cover-up, unprecedented stuff, the authorities against Pete Trumpetti, the authorities against Iqbal's survey. I mean, the next step is almost without question that we are going to hear that the babies have been killed off by the authorities, something like that. I suspect that we, well, I hope that all we hear is that the authorities have put them up for adoption to continue to hide their cover-up. Oh, that would be a, a sort of, I suppose, a feel-good end to, to the story. I mean, I think the thing is, too, that many of us are now just checking out of this narrative that we simply can't take anymore because it is becoming so absurd. But what I was considering, John, is why this particular story has elicited such strong emotions and on both sides. I mean, I think there were many of us, including myself, who from the beginning felt very kind of angry about this story. I really felt a kind of rage about it because it seemed so patently obvious that the public was being taken for a ride. I was thinking about it for me, it's because, you know, in the course of this pandemic, COVID-19 really has brought out the cranks, the quacks, the conspiracy theorists. We're surrounded by them now in public every day. And there's been so many instances where things have had to be fact-checked, where we've had to say, no, it's not true. No, it's not true that Dr. Fauci is doing this. No, it's not true that Ivermectin can do this. No, there's been constant elements. And this just seemed like one more of the increasingly blatant lies being spread around, left unchecked and believed by credulous members of the public. There's something about that that's very angry. And then there's also the sense that, you know, we're desperate for a good news story. Desperate. The, many of us deeply wanted it to be true because there's nothing nicer than a good news story involving a baby. And that also led me to believe, John, I mean, to question, should we even have thought of this as a good news? Is it good news when a penniless, basically, couple gives birth to 10 babies? I mean... Well, the, the, the good news part of it is that people and companies donate and she gets free medical attention, she gets free baby food, she gets uh, free toys, she gets free nappies, she gets a million rand from Iqbal's survey. Uh, that's That, I think, Rebecca, is the good news part of it. I, I, you know, I disagree, John. I think okay. a lot of people were expressing just the joy about the event itself, that that this in itself is such a blessing. That was the word we heard a lot. Bundles of joy, a blessing, etc. And I understand that children in many cultures are viewed just as an intrinsic gift and the more the merrier and so forth. But I mean, isn't it time also to change our thinking around that in a, in a world so resource-starved? Should we be thinking of 10 babies as this incredible gift or should we be saying yikes? 
that's actually maybe not the best thing that could happen at this time. Be that as it may, John, I too wanted the deck couplets in our world. I wanted to track them year by year and see their smiling little faces and the 10 of them lined up. And I feel bitter that we have been robbed of that glorious story. But at the same time, John, as I said, maybe for the best, because penniless parents raising 10 children sounds like an awful strain once the media goes away. Uh, uh, look, is, is there nobody of any kind of integrity in the editorial management of independent newspapers that says it is time to bring this to an end? It's time for us to admit a mistake, a time for us to admit that uh, a, one of our reporters, a senior reporter, took the word of somebody for something for which there was no other evidence. And, and, and we're stopping this now. The babies were not born. Because, I mean, with, with them having gone this conspiratorial, there is now a massive cover-up because the babies were taken away from her. She was put into another part of the hospital where she was basically abandoned to the point where she had to go knock on the door of the matron to say, where are my babies? And now that they are alleging that there's some kind of psychiatric problem, that road leads to claims that the government has probably killed them or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. There, there's no way back from the the next step in the story that they've put on this ladder. It is a, a spiralling series of lies and it is Trumpian. It is the sense of telling bigger and bigger lies in in a way that becomes its own self-perpetuating cycle because once you're trapped in it you can't get out i think john you're quite right i think there must be people at independent who are watching this with absolute horror i mean we heard from the beginning that there were some of peter and Petty's colleagues who thought this is definitely a scam the question is also why dr iqbal's survey is sticking by rampedi in the face of what seems like this terrible and obvious mistake he's made when we know that he was more than willing to fire other editors at the drop of a hat for doing well those other editors have showed that ghastly thing called editorial independence whereas Mr. Rampedi and Mr. Sur- Dr. Survey, I beg your pardon and Nelson Mandela's Dr. Survey are, um, you know, have the same song sheet in, in front of them. I just got a WhatsApp from somebody saying Iqbal Survey is giving a bursary to Rosemary's baby. <laughs> Goodness me. I think the other thing is, John, potentially that Iqbal Survey is scared of Pete Rampedi. I mean, Rampedi is effectively a political gun for hire and to get on his bad side means that one can basically guarantee oneself of a series of smear or attack articles over the years to come. So there's every reason why Survey would be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in order simply to keep him within his publication stable rather than without. But this is a journalist who has repeatedly showed himself to be utterly devoid of any media integrity, John. And I know know, the public doesn't like it when the media fights among itself. I think it's unseemly as well. But this is somebody who should actually be drummed out of the profession by this stage. I mean, this is just... It's really unforgivable. And I also think that the government and the health authorities should seriously consider legal action at this stage. I mean, the claims being made against Steve Biko Hospital are absolutely outrageous. They, are. they really are. I would get lawyers lining up sharpish to take some of Iqbal's surveys PIC money back. And then, Rebecca, um, <laughs> if these babies had been born, I doubt that they would have been read Enid Blyton at any stage in their lives. But uh, I was certainly read Enid Blyton and read for myself Enid Blyton once I learned to read by myself. Should future generations, current generations of children not have Enid Blyton read to them? 
Yeah, but the, the British history organisation English Heritage has officially described Enid Blyton's work as being characterised by racism, xenophobia and lack of literary merit. The last, of course, is particularly stinging. John, I was thinking back, I mean, I must have, read, I would go so far as to say I must have read the majority of Enid Blyton's 700 books. I really went through them in my childhood. Uh, I could just about conjure up the racism via the gollywogs, via some stuff in Noddy. I couldn't think of xenophobia, but then I suppose the xenophobia is just sort of woven into it. Everyone who's a foreigner is suspicious in an Enid Blyton novel. The lack of literary merit, it must be said, with the, the cruel eyes of an adult, is absolutely spot on. Enid Blyton, in her peak, was writing a book every five days, John. <laughs> Astonishing output. And it's no wonder that they began to feel a little bit repetitive. But I think the, 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 the great joy of Enid Blyton's book, certainly to me as a child, was that they picked, they, they described a, a version of childhood utterly remote from my own and many others in which parents basically do not teach them. This is quite an unusual aspect of British children's literature. In America, we had this tradition of the likes of Tom Sawyer going off by themselves, not a parent in sight. British domestic children's literature tends to be far more in the nursery realm. The, the parents are there as these overbearing figures. But the famous five Secret Seven to a lesser degree. The famous five were allowed to just go off on these summer holidays on their bicycles. We never saw the parents. We only heard of them as these vague figures in the background at the beginning and end and, and ends of the book. There was something very wonderful about that. And as a new parent myself, John, you know, I'm coming to really appreciate children's books which have any kind of well, it's sort of excitement or difference about them because there is such a vast quantity, particularly for the age I'm reading to, of terrible children's books, terrible babies' books, books that don't rhyme, they don't scan, they're not interesting, they're too long. And I was reminded also of reading a recent interview with a great current children's book author, Julia Donaldson, who's written The Gruffalo and Tiddler and a whole bunch of other things. She says that she thinks that these days a lot of children's authors are writing for the parents. So the books are about, you know, give me another hug, tell mommy how much I love you, the moon wants to hug you, etc. And these are all feelings from the parent to the child. That's not what children want to read about. What children want are adventures and picnics and getting the bad guys. And that's exactly what Enoch Blyton gave us. And, you know, I still think there's, there's a kind of enjoyment in that for kids. Thank you very, very much, Rebecca Davis. There will be another Plan B next week.